Well, our uh, series, as Tito mentioned in the Psalms, uh, continues today. We're in Psalm 124. Uh, so if you brought a Bible with you, uh, you can begin opening that up. If not, uh, we'll have the words projected for you. Uh, I'd love for us just to be a Bible-toting church, though. So, like, uh, if, you're, if, you're a, if you're a phone person, that's fine. Uh, but I would love for, for the Bible to be open in front of you um, for, for this reason, mostly a lot of the things I say, I'm trying to prove to you that I'm not making it up. And so um, some things sound too good to be true. So uh, just having the text in front of us, I mean, yeah, we project it, but, but uh, let's, let's be a Bible-carrying church. Um, anyway, uh, our series in Psalms, I've enjoyed this series. I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but I've, I've been titling um, the sermons after songs, like modern songs. Well, not so modern songs. I've been. I've realized as I've been searching for my title. Usually, I pick the title at the end of my preparation. I kind of know what the sermon's about, and then I pick the title. Uh, I'm really a product of the '80s, apparently, because uh, I just I'm, I'm going back. I gravitated towards uh, Top Gun today, today, so we're going Danger Zone. Uh, if you haven't recently watched the Danger Zone YouTube video of Kenny Loggins, do yourself a favor and uh, go ahead and uh, plug that one after church today. That's that's a that's a good laugh. Um, but today's title sermon title is Danger Zone. Um, let's go ahead and just read the text and then we'll, we'll dive into it and, and walk through it together. Psalm 124. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Let's pray together. Lord, please make the meditations of our hearts and the words of this man's mouth pleasing in your sight, Lord. You are our rock, you are our redeemer, and we come to listen to you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're a couple couple weeks past July 4th. Um, July 4th has never really been really a huge holiday uh, celebration in, in my life, but this year it has um, our neighbors, uh, the, like our neighbors don't do much together, but apparently July 4th is our neighborhood thing, and so everybody kind of gets out and... And does the fireworks thing? And um, you know, when you're when you're doing fireworks, I don't know about you, but you know, the nostalgia begins, and you know, that's kind of the, the purpose of it—the grand celebratory nature of the Fourth of July. And kind of got a hold of me for a minute as I'm as I'm well, one trying to avoid losing any fingers while lighting them, and then also protecting my children. But I had this kind of this the solace moment of, you know, this, this is a great country that we live in and kind of, you know, just remembrance of things that uh, have happened in our country, historically speaking, and wars and the blood that's been shed, all these things that has led up to the culmination of this great country that, that we are now partaking in. And, um, you know, I th it just got me thinking, like, you know, as a 
I don't think I'm a millennial, but as a modern young generation person, um, it got me thinking, I, th- I think sometimes we think about America as like it was like this instant success story. Kind of like, like, of course, we're going to leave Britain's rule and we're going to come over here and experience, you know, grand celebratory things and freedom that's never been heard of. And of course, that's how it worked out. Kind of, I don't know, it's just this kind of this, this naivety on my own part of, of really neglecting to acknowledge all of the, the bloody past that kind of has marked the trail of our country and, um, you know, how our, how our freedom that we experience now is really built on the back of the loss of many, many soldiers. And, and many years of struggle. And I wonder, you know, if we do that kind of with the Bible and Christianity, we kind of just think, you know, like, of course I'm forgiven. You know, like, of course I have new life. Yeah, there's the whole cross thing, and of course we're going to talk about that. But like, it's kind of this, this almost this naive approach towards what all has taken place for us to get to where we are now in our faith and those kinds of things. Like, like Israel's struggles particularly, which is the backdrop of this psalm, you know, Israel had this long history of blood and war and persecution and rejection and exile and all, all of these things. And I wonder if, if we just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, that kind of happened and that was good for them and all, but we're kind of here now. And, um, you know, this is, another, this is another song that was written by David. So this is the second one in this series that we've seen written by King David. So if you know little to nothing about the Bible, you may have heard about David, you know, David of David and Goliath. And he was this, he was, he was this mighty warrior. I mean, he really was. He, was. he was a leader of God's people. He was a man of war. He was, you know, he was leading God's people through, through lands and conquering and, and destroying people. I mean, he would take out Edomites and Syrians and fl- fl- the Philistines and all these people groups. And we kind of just, I don't know, we just forget about some of that. Um, I came across this verse, random verse in First Chronicles, which Chronicles is, is one uh, place in the Bible where it really... Um, it really publicizes some of the work that God's people had done historically and what David was doing. And it just says this at the end of one of the sections in chapter 18 of 1 Chronicles. It says, And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Like just that little line, the Lord gave victory to David just wherever he went. And you know, loaded in that is just all kinds of history and all kinds of you know, substance and content. Um. You know, this song, I think for us, what I'm, what I'm hoping it, it does for us is it, it connects our faith to, to, yes, the long history that has preceded us. Like thinking about the way God has delivered his people time and time and time again from persecution and war and famine and exile. All these things, God's faithfulness through that. Um, and so it shows us really the power of God's redemption for us. Um, because really, there's there's this there's this beat that's going on in this song. I mean, if you just look at the two opening verses, um, this is this is the banner of the song. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then David says, "Say it again. <laughs> Let Israel now say this again. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then kind of the obvious is, then what would have happened? You know, then what? It's kind of the if." Then, so the the two beats that are really going on in this song are the beat of, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, what would have happened? 
what was coming our way, if the Lord had not been for us. And then the second beat is, if the Lord, because the Lord has been on our side, look what has happened for us. So let's, let's look at this big idea and, and kind of hanging on these two things is, I want you to see today from this passage that the difference between destruction and deliverance depends wholly on who is on your side. So that same path, danger zone, danger path, but the difference between destruction and deliverance has everything to do with who's on your side. So let's look uh, first uh, to two points today. If you're a note taker, uh, destruction without the Lord, first point, and then deliverance with the Lord, second point. So uh, destruction without the Lord. Uh, the, 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 psalm, the song is really asking this question, what happens without the Lord? What if the Lord is, is not on our side? Uh, vivid language is very common and typical in the songs. Verse 3 says that swallowed up and the ang- anger is kindled against us. I don't know why, um, but I picture a dragon here. <laughs> um, you know, one, com- one commentator actually agreed with me, and that maybe that's where I got it from, but it's like, you know, if there was a depiction of like the pure essence of maybe evil, it's kind of the, the depiction of a dragon, right? This thick skin, the scales, the fire breathing. Like the picture in verse three is that you would be swallowed up alive, consumed by this enemy if the Lord was not on your side. This, the, the second part of the picture, verse 4, is, is a flood, that you'd be swept away by the raging waters of torrent coming over you. And so, you know, this, for, for the Old Testament Israelites who would have read this, judgment through water was very common. Uh, you know, they had two main stories, flood, Noah, the ark, familiar with that one, and then the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea, his people pass through, and then he floods the enemy. He judges the enemy. And so, you know, for the Old Testament Israelite, you hear floods, you hear water, you think judgment. Now, for you and I, that doesn't register all that much. Um, I don't know, you know, if you heard this story growing up, but the, the, the water story of judgment for me was La Lorona. You guys know about La Lorona? Oh, a couple of you do, a couple of you don't. That's okay. La Lorona is the story that kept me out of the ditches of New Mexico. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the G-rated version here. We've got children with us. So if you want the full story, go to Wikipedia. It'll give it to you. But La Lorona is the story of a woman who had lost her children around water. And so around water is where she would go weeping, looking for other children. Hence, stay away from water. That's how you stay away from water. That's how I stayed out of the ditches. I was told La Lorona is in the ditches, so stay out of the ditches. And so, but for me, that that brought up this fear of judgment and consumption. That's what this would have done for the Old Testament Israelites, hearing the floods of waters raging over them. Okay, Noah's Ark, judgment. Okay, Red Sea, judgment. But God's people delivered. Noah's family delivered. God, the Israelites in the wilderness delivered. And so the picture here of the dragon or whatever beast that is consuming and the waters is two powerful enemies that require outside help to be delivered from. Things that you don't have control over. 
And so what that would have done, and what it does for me, is it provides this, almost this crippling anxiety, like, what can I do about this? Like, if these are the enemies that are raising up against me, what can I do about this? What help is available? So how do we make some modern ties to this? Like, okay, like, none of us are ancient Near Eastern kings that I'm aware of. I haven't had that conversation, but, you know, we've got some military people, but not, not many of us are storming troops into battle and experiencing the things that David are experiencing. So how does, you know, what, what is the enemy here? And, um, you know, there's a number of approaches. You know, if you're thinking spiritually, you could be thinking, okay, well, the enemy's like the devil, you know, Satan, you know, spiritual warfare, opposition, that, that certainly could be part of it. Um, you know, maybe the enemy here is like just opposition and persecution towards the believer, which, which is very real and relevant in our world, and that certainly could be part of it. But I think the key to understanding, actually, the, the, the larger view that, that even David probably had in mind is actually discovered in verse 2 when he says, the Lord was on our side when people rose up against us. The word there, people, is the word Adam, Adam. It's the word used for the first man. And it is representative of humanity. And the way the Bible typically views humanity is with a low view. Fallen, sinful people. And so the great enemy in view here is when people, when sin rises up. And so the great enemy of Psalm 124 is sin. See, the nature of sin and what the, the scriptures teach us about sin is one, that it lives inside of us, and that's very problematic. You see, the enemy is not the enemy out there. It's not the enemy that is, you know, to be dealt with from a distance. It's the enemy in here. And the nature of sin is that it's subtle and not always flashy, and that it's sneaky and that it's consuming all parts of our lives. In other words, there is no part of our life which has not been touched by sin. From our thought life, to our word life, to our deed life, we're tainted inside, internally. And then perhaps the worst news of all about our sin is that it's deadly and lethal. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that the wages of sin is death. So, without the Lord, the enemy will consume you, and it will destroy you, and it will defeat you, and we are completely unable to do anything about that. We try to do better. We try our best to avoid it. We give it the old college try. We turn new leaves over. We create new spiritual disciplines and habits, but humanity is inescapably trapped by this enemy. The wages of sin is death without the Lord. So that's the tension that the passage presents. If it were not for the Lord, destruction. But the good news is the Lord is on our side. Look at verses 6 through 8. Let's look at the deliverance with the Lord. Um, 1980, 
uh, I wasn't quite born yet, uh, but uh, I've heard about this and I've seen the videos. The Miracle on Ice, familiar with the, the famous U.S. hockey game, U.S. and Soviet Union. Some of you were alive then, others of us have seen it on, t- on YouTube or whatever. Um, but the Miracle on Ice, as it's been uh, quoted now, was a game between the U.S. hockey team and the Soviet Union hockey team in the Olympics. And the Soviet Union, just as a point of reference, they had won six out of the seven past Winter Olympics, and they were just, just loaded with professional players, uh, the, the elite of the elite. I mean, they were, they were certainly supposed to win. And then there was the U.S. team who was really not loaded with professional players. They had a lot of college players, a lot of amateur players, and they were really given no chance at all to win. And if you, if you, if you don't know about this game, you know where I'm headed. Um, U.S. beats the Soviet Union 4-3, to three, and famously, this is where the, the title for the game, Miracle on Ice, came from. Al Michaels, who was commenting on the game at that point, he, he asked this question. He says, do you believe in miracles? Yes, right? I believe in miracles. The U.S. beats the Soviet Union. Um, everybody loves a good underdog story. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't love the underdog winning. Like the, the, the all odds are stacked against them. I mean, everybody loves a good underdog story. And God's people have always been the underdogs. Always. And they have always experienced victories like that where you, at the end of the, the game, so to speak, do you believe in miracles? Yes, God's people won again. Um, do you know why God chose Israel? Do you know why he, he picked that nation of all people to be his people? The Old Testament tells us uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm, I'm going to flip there. I think we've got the words if you want to follow along. It's a bit of a passage here. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, here's what the Lord says to his people about why he chose them. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Here's the reason. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, God chooses his people because they are utterly incapable of delivering themselves. He chooses his people because they're weak. He chooses his people because they're on their own, helpless, And um, when God's people experienced military victories, like the Red Sea, or even just a deliverance like the flood, who gets the glory? God, always. God gets the glory for all the victories, for all of his people, all of the time. And so here in verses 6 and verse 7, blessed be the Lord, he didn't give us to the prey to their teeth, he, we've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. A snare was just a bird trap. So it was a, a trap where you put the food in the middle, the bird comes in, the net wraps around him, and there was no way of the bird to escape unless outside help intervened. 
The snare had to be cut. It had to be broken from somebody else. And this is the picture that God gives of his people entrapped and enslaved to their greatest enemy, to sin. So both metaphorically and physically, God delivers his people by giving them the outside help that they need. So sin is inescapable without God's outside help. So the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, is how can I be delivered from my greatest enemy who lives inside of me? And we answer that question in all kinds of ways. We say maybe it's just sheer resilience and willpower, right? I will, I will try harder, God. I will do a better job. I will stop messing up. Clean slate. Forgive me. Let me start over. Or, or maybe it's just, just moral strength and kind of this moral authority like, God, I'm not as bad as that person. Like, I've messed up, but look at, look at the other people in my life. I'm not that bad. Or, or maybe it's this, you know, kind of just the religious zeal stripe. Like, you know, kind of just the spiritual flavor. Like, Lord, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying all the time. I'm going to community group and I'm, you know, I'm at church every Sunday and I'm serving and I'm doing all these things. Lord, maybe that, maybe that'll provide an escape for me. Maybe I'll be freed from the, the entrapment that my sin has over me. And the Bible makes it clear um, that none of those are good options. None of them. None of them will suffice. See, Romans 6, which I quoted earlier, says the wages of sin is death. But the rest of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, so what's better... What is better than having the Lord just on your side? Because, because all of those other approaches actually leave God on your side. Like it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like a friend system. Like we're working together. Like God, I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. And we're kind of working side by side. So what is, what is better than just having God on your side? Well, the New Testament says it's having God inside. Um, see, the way the Bible describes the believer is not in terms, it rarely uses the, it doesn't even use the word believer, I don't think. Sometimes on occasion, Christians or saints, but the, the, the dominant way that the Bible describes the person who's believing in God is to be in Christ, is union with Christ. And so what's better than having the Lord on your side is having the Lord inside. And in order for the Lord to, have, to be inside, he had to deal with your greatest enemy first. See, what we discover in the gospel of Jesus and his work on the cross is that what took place on that cross in history, in redemption, 2,000 plus years ago, was Jesus going to war with your enemy? Not Satan, not spiritual opposition, but going to war with your sin. 
And so on the cross, we see Jesus fully and finally delivering the final blow to your greatest enemy. And so the reason that had to take place was until your sin was dealt with, Jesus could have no part with you. See, Jesus could not come inside of you until your sin was fully dealt with. And so when your sin is defeated and was defeated, he gives you all of himself. See, all of the benefits that we talk about, you know, God's adoption of his people, our justification, our right standing with God, the righteousness that he covers us with, the, the work that Jesus did to give us credit for, all of those benefits are only discovered in your union with him. And so the gospel isn't just God loves me and forgives me. The gospel is Christ in you. The gospel is you by faith, united, receiving all flowing benefits from him. And the enemy's been dealt with. And so when you, by faith, transfer all of your trust from all of your own strength and your own efforts, whatever variety your preference is, when you stop trusting anything else besides Christ, is when you are in him and he is in you. And so the symbolism that the believer puts upon himself is no longer the symbolism of water and judgment. This is water of grace and mercy poured upon the believer who is united to that one by faith. That's what the gospel is. And so for the believer, the most, for the unbeliever, Maybe you're here today and like, you know, your faith, you know, was the faith of your parents or the faith of, you know, generations before you, or maybe you're here on your own initiative, just exploring what the gospel is. The most dangerous and irresponsible thing you could do is try to fight this enemy on your own. Trying to live by trusting in your own efforts to defeat an enemy who lives within you and will consume you. But the free offer of the gospel is just that it is free. You come with no money, you come with nothing, and you come to the one who offers you all of himself all of the time. No effort, no striving. No work. You have to do nothing but believe in this good news to know that the Lord is on your side. You must simply believe that Jesus is enough. You must transfer your trust from fighting for yourself to knowing that he fought for you. I'm going to close with these verses that we sing um, frequently. I think the song is called My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Uh, or no, on Christ the solid rock, says this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Believers, that is what it means to be in Christ. That is what it means to be free from danger, relieved 
from anxiety and wholly leaning on his name. Let's pray and ask God that God would help us do that. Father, we, we acknowledge that um, too often we trust in other frames. Lord, we trust in our own goodness. We trust in our spiritual activity. We trust in our status or our success or our power. Lord, none of these things are suffice to defeat the great enemy of our sin. But praise be to God that your son Jesus did what we could not do. We thank you for giving us Christ. We thank you for making him the good news of our life. We thank you for uniting us to him by faith so that everything that he earned on our behalf is ours all the time and forevermore. And nothing can shake that from us. Lord, help us to believe these truths in such a way that it would move us to live the life that you have called us to live, a life of joy and a life of service and a life of worship unto you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.